Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to another week of Chasing Frets. My name is Jason Shadrick, and I'm here with uh, my good buddy Joe Gore this week. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing pretty well, considering the world around us, Jason. Um, <laughs> and sure had fun reuniting with my old friend Jim Campolongo. Really moving week for me to touch base with him again after so long. Oh, it was so great hearing you guys catch up about about the old days in, in San Francisco and hearing a bit of his of his backstory when it comes to when it comes to his, his playing and. Today's topic is going to focus on, a little bit on his new record, which is called Two Guitars, and it's a duo record that he did with uh, another guitarist named Luca Benedetti, who he's played with off and on uh, through the years. And I was just really fascinated by how the story of how, how, in some ways, how a lot of arranging and how very little arranging went into this project. Yeah, well, first of all, it's a beautiful record that, you know, that you should check out, and you know, if you're a Jim Campolongo fan and worried that it doesn't have enough Jim on it, put your mind at ease because it's a it's a great yeah. Jim Campolongo record. But um, from the from the sound of it, their main arranging tool was their musicality. It was mm-hmm. not a it, it's a very spontaneous record, though. They play so beautifully as a duet that you'd be tempted to think that it was arranged in advance. And then when he slipped in, how the day he went to record this, he like had the flu or something and, and wasn't feeling well. And this was this was recorded pre-COVID times. Uh, it was recorded last year, and that it's just amazing. Like, man, I wish I can play. When I grow up, I wish I can play half as well as Jim plays with the flu. I think that's <laughs> that's going to be my goal. The thing about Jim is he, he, I've known him for thirty-five years, and he was a he was a great, great, great guitar player in his early twenties. You know, the world just had had to discover him. You know, I yeah. think moving to, moving from San Francisco to Brooklyn helped. But uh, uh, you know, he was a, he was a phenomenon when he was quite young. I can personally testify. We're going to start in one on one topic and kind of go all over the place. So we hope you stick with us. And here's our first episode with Jim Campolongo. <laughs> How you doing, man? This is uh, great to have you on the on the podcast. Finally, hey, thanks for having me. Uh, today's first topic: uh, we want to touch on your new record, uh, inventively called Two Guitars." And specifically, what I want to talk about is how you and Luca Benedetti, the other guitar player on the record, when you have a song, uh, whether it's one you've written or maybe a jazz tune like you found on this record, where do you begin to craft an arrangement? 
between kind of this minimal instrumentation of two guitars or is that stuff that's uh, that's kind of figured out on the fly when you go to record? Well, probably a combination of both. But one thing about Luca and and I is um, we kind of if we if we we talk about things like we I I, I hate to sound hoity-toity, but it, we look at each piece like we're producing it. Um, and I noticed, I mean, I, that's one of the things that really drew me to him is aside from he was a great guitarist and doing, uh, he was playing in a band called Honeyfingers that really blew my mind. Um, when we'd get together, uh, he had a lot of ideas and, and they were all good. And I'm kind of of the school, I don't talk about the idea, I say, let's try it it takes less time and it's not a contest of who could wax poetic the best you know it's like if somebody has an idea it's like let's hear it and we'd always agree which was a nice thing or if we disagreed um i trusted him enough to uh give it give it some time so we did the last night this morning record um and then we produced a guy named zephaniah uhura and then we uh, uh produced um another great group in Ohio. Uh, so, and as a team, uh, and so when we ended up doing two guitars, it was really on a fluke because we had a gig at the 55 bar and it was snowing or something. Forgot what happened, you know, like really snowing. Mm -hmm. And uh, just me and Luca made it there and the gig was six to nine. I mean, it was a long, you know, it's a long haul, three hour gig. So, the show must go on. So we said, well, let's just play it as duet. And we hadn't done that. Um, so the first couple songs, you know, we were kind of just being, ching, uh, ching, 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 you know, like doing like standard stuff. And I think around the fourth song, you know, in this set, two things happen. One is I realized I didn't have to play for it to sound good which is always the place for me to be. Like if I think, oh, I don't need to play, like all of a sudden it'll get creative instead of playing uh, Freddie Green rhythm or whatever. You know, even when we do uh, something like I Got Rhythm Changes, sometimes I'll just think, oh, you know, I'll just play C and let it ring out. And the other thing that happened is we got really lost on one tune. And... Uh, and it got good because we got lost. And uh, Luca's wife was in the audience that gig. And we kind of, in a very needy way at the end of the set, we were like, was that good? Because it was, it was kind of thrown upon us. And uh, Becca, Luca's wife, said, you know, when you guys screw up, that's when it sounds good. And <laughs> we, I, I really valued that. Um, and I, I respected, I respect her opinion. So we kind of took it from there. Now, as far as each particular piece, we'll play it in a linear fashion and we might get to a point and one of us will stop and go, what should happen now? Like we just know when it needs, needs something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did an interesting thing on Friday, uh, last Friday. Uh, and we, there's a Dana school of music in Ohio asked me and Luca 
to do a Zoom class for their guitar class. And they were in uh, like their duet semester or whatever it was, like they were doing duets. And it was one of the nicest experiences I've, I've ever had. Um, and uh, one thing I noticed, aside from that the kids were beautiful and talented and uh, I, I told the kids, and I'd say it now, like if they were stock, I would buy shares in them. You know, they were all so interesting and beautiful. Uh, one kid played a tenor guitar, for example, like four-string tenor, like, you know. But their arrangements were classical jazz arrangements because I think that's what they're learning, you know, like play the head, do some solos, Let's trade fours, go back to the melody, end. And um, I kind of recommended them to listen to uh, Howard Roberts as a dirty guitar player and some Duke Ellington. I mean, even Duke Ellington will go, you know, he has that breakdown and take the A train. And there's, that's how me and Luca look at things. Like, what does it need? And so... Sometimes we'll say it needs nothing. It needs for us to not talk about it, like Up a Lazy River off the record. We mean, we've never even discussed it. I mean, other than do you want to put Up a Lazy River on the record? And, you know, let's give it a try. Like to talk about that song would screw it up. But something like Mona Lisa or uh, Minute Waltz, which isn't, uh, I mean, they're all pretty simple arrangements uh even though it it is a high information gig um you know you have to remember some arpeggio or this is just one a you know we'll split the instead of going a a we'll go yeah we, we already heard the a let's just do a once things like that just edit it and produce it a little bit and uh we talk about it and then we tape it on my iphone and we send it to each other and listen to it and if it sounds good that's it. So was this like your, your quarantine record that you guys could put together easily? Uh, and No, um, luckily enough, I mean, uh, I recorded, we recorded it last year and I planned, I mean, I didn't plan, I wasn't sure if it would really be good enough to put out two guitars at first. I was very uh, scared. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another word. What, why, can, can you explain why? It just seems like such a slam dunk. Well, thanks, Joe. Um, now that I hear it, you know, when I heard it, I was really pleased with it. But um, I'd always done group things. It was scary enough just playing in a trio. Uh, and I thought, and, and because we know so much, I mean, we love the Ramones and we love earthy music, but because we study music and are open to music, we're aware of Lenny Bro. We're aware of Ted Green. We're aware of Chet Atkins and Wes Montgomery. Uh, you know, these, these giants. And it's, it's very humbling. I mean, uh, we, I, I personally feel, you know, I don't, uh, some days I feel very mediocre. Uh, you know, compared to that. Um, and sometimes a little voice in my head says, you know, you're mediocre and I'll know what, and now it's time to look at the band or to look at the audience. Um, so 
I was wondering if I did this two guitars record, which is a pretty straight ahead record, um, if it would expose like how mediocre I am. <laughs> um, and, you know, I thought, well, I hope not. But then when Luca and I did the 55 bar gig and it kind of turned into something which I guess I could call special. I did, I thought, well, I don't, it's nothing like Herb, Herb Ellis and uh, Joe Pass. Uh, it's nothing like Lenny Bro and Chet Atkins. Um, and I'm not saying it belongs in that, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore of gr the greatest duets of all time. But nonetheless, I, I, I found it, um, you know, uh, substantial. So that's to answer that question. And I don't want to sound like super insecure or anything, but, you know, doing a two guitar record at this point in my career, uh, which was a good concept because it was like, what am I going to do? Um, the other thing, and I don't want to talk for like 20 minutes each question, but the other thing was I do uh, plan my records. Um, asked, I knew when I was doing last night, this morning, which was kind of a semi-produced record with steel guitar, uh, a, a Django guy, Roy Williams, uh, Luca Benedetti on Telecaster, me, um, Russ Meisner and David Speranza doing some like with stuff that was kind of arranged with the wealth of instruments. I knew my next record would be live at Rockwood, which is, sounds at times like a post-apocalyptic trio. Um, it's a complete departure. And each record, I think about that, and it, it did make sense. I thought, well, I could either do a solo record, but I don't know if I'm ready for that. And the duet record seemed like the perfect thing because I think it's my 14th record. And, I mean, how many Jim Campolongo records can one buy? I mean, how many All Danny Gatton records? <laughs> well, you know, but also, you know, Jim, I remember, you know, years and years ago, you know, you would, you know, how many, how many albums did Chet record? Well, you know, and you never got tired of finding old Chet records to, to, to lose yourself in. True. But how many, I mean, okay. I have about 110 Chet Atkins albums. I mean, but, you know, me and Chet's you know, wife. Um, that said, and I mean, this isn't my dream music because I tend to like, um, you know, I mean, I, Danny Gatton was like the greatest telly player po possibly, right? I mean, he's right up there, top five. And how many Danny Gatton records do you want to buy? I mean, I have two and it, like that's, that's enough. And so in that context, and I don't want to put down Danny Gatton or say like he, you know, his, his discography is a failure and he did that jazz record, New York stories. Yep. He did some departures. So don't take, take this with a grain of salt. Um, I humbly say, but I think about what's going to be next and two guitars made perfect sense after this almost alienating trio record at times. I mean, high calorie. 
Um, and I like then, that high, high calorie trio. I, I like that's a good. Uh, it's, it's it's some of it. Some of it's just nice. And Josh Dion sings beautifully on a blues, but some of it is just crazy. And uh, so I kind of wanted to do something that was very different than that. Um, and I went through that whole thought process that I've shared with you now. Am I good enough? Do I have anything to offer? Um, and I ended up being really, I'm really happy with it. Um, very, I mean, as happy as I ever am with a record. Well, a couple of things you mentioned in describing this was kind of the, the element of fear. And to me, I, I'm sure a lot of guitar players wrestle with that. And the other thing that struck me is how you're describing this record came together is having kind of the courage to not play in certain situations. After that yeah. snowstorm gig, you guys obviously kept kind of figuring that was working and kept going and, and, and did more gigs like that before you recorded, right? Yeah, definitely. We did a few gigs and, and uh, we got together then with thinking, okay, we're going to record a record and we know a bunch of stuff. Sure. Um, and so we kind of honed it down and the eve of the recording, which, by the way, I didn't answer your question, was like March of or, or April of 2019, and I had pneumonia. Um, oh, man. But I called up Luca, and I said, hey, look, tomorrow, like, if we play, fine. If we don't play, fine. Let's just make sure we go get sushi, and then we'll go get coffee at 5 p.m. at that place we really like with the engineer, Aaron. Like, let's just have a good time. And I think I was speaking to myself more than him. But we got together, and that first day was fruitful. Um, and then we did one more day, um, and I think we, we thought we had a record. And then I listened to it, and I thought, you know, we need, we need some structure. Uh, and so I, 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 I arranged. I mean, Luca does a lot of arranging and great ideas. I don't want to take focus at all on me, but I came up with Mona Lisa. I wrote a uh, nice dress, which is just kind of like a fun little tune and uh, which I thought the thing needed. And I wrote blade of grass, which is uh, probably, it sounds like a singer songwriter thing or something, but uh, it, a friend of mine had overdosed on heroin and uh, I really broke my heart. And I wrote that, when I was thinking about him, which normally isn't the case, you know, uh, but that was, and so that closes the record night. Uh, so we went back in December, 2019, and we had to do it before, I think December 9th, because I had to get foot surgery uh, because I had a nerve wrapped in a bone on the bottom of my foot. It was driving me nuts for about a year. So, um, I, when I got this foot surgery, I wouldn't be able to walk for a month and a half. Mm. Okay. And <laughs> which was a great segue into COVID. Um, but anyway, so we finished it and had it mastered, I think the next day and it was in the camp. And then I uh, healed from this surgery and around the end of January, I started hobbling around pretty successfully. And so I, I basically had a month um, mm -hmm. before we were quarantining. But I ha we had the record in the can, 
And that was really lucky, like almost the foot surgery thing was luck because we were, I remember both of us were busy in December and we had to push it. Like I said, look, we got to do this by December 9th. And, and we went in and uh, the, the final day in December, we recorded three songs in the morning and mixed them in the afternoon. And one of them was Mona Lisa. It's that heavy arpeggio, arpeggio tune. I mean, it's hard for me, you know, and, uh, I remember thinking, I got to get this, like, right the first time. Like, we had so little time, and I did, um, which I really feel grateful for. Like, we got all those three songs in the morning, mixed them that night, done. So, and it was ready to be released this year. Oh, cool. Which is which has worked out. To kind of piggyback on the last question I asked, how did those, how did those gigs you did before you went into – uh, record the record those couple of times. How did that and your kind of interfere? How did that kind of balance itself out so you you felt better or good about releasing this record? Well, I guess because it started sounding special. Yeah, I mean, I'm not oblivious to that. I mean, I was a little insecure at first. It would. I mean, maybe someday I'll record a solo record. I mean, I don't feel ready right now. But uh, I felt like, oh, yeah, we're ready. We're ready to do this. Um, and I just love hanging out with Luca, and um, I really trust him. Uh, you know, he, his input is always great and spot on. I mean, even on Mona Lisa, for example, I came up with this whole arrangement, right? And I felt a little sheepish about it because um, – I try to like let people do what they want to do. You get the right people and you just let them do, they make the right decision. I don't go in anymore and go, hey, I did it on my four track, learn all this or whatever, you know. And, but on that tune, I really micromanaged. I was like, here's the chords I want you to play, play it. You know, I wrote out when to play them and all this stuff. And Luca was a really good sport about it. And we ended up like splitting the melody and that was a little complicated. Like, where do we stop? Because that's a weird tune. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, weird, and that's why you don't ever hear a jazz guy play it. <laughs> you know, you never go to a restaurant and you're like, oh, they're playing Mona Lisa again. You know, it's, 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 it's more of a pop song than it is like a piece you blow on. But anyway, Lucas said, why don't we put I, – I had the arpeggio thing at the end and – I forget how it was. And he said, why don't we hint at the melody in the beginning, do the arpeggios in the beginning, and then go into the bulk of the song. And it was like a revelation. I was like, wow, that's it. You know, like I kind of smelled a rap before, but wasn't sure. Like something was a little wrong with the picture. So even a suggestion like that sometimes makes or breaks the tune. But, yeah, I felt very confident. I mean, you know, as confident as I ever am that it was going to be good. He's a beautiful player. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And he's really generous. Um, just everything about him. I mean, the one thing we talked about at the session, because we didn't talk about any. I mean, we don't talk. You know, we talk, but it was ready. And we'd be like, were you comfortable? And there was a couple I was like, God, that was a good solo. I hope he likes his, you know. I mean, there's a 
whole give and take thing. But um, I remember asking him, is my rhythm inspiring you? And he'd go, yeah. And then, you know, the next song, you know, after we did it maybe once or twice, we did things three times, I think four times tops. Because, you know, you, get, you can't, you get like snow blind. You're like, is this? That's a ri- it's, 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 you know, t- to my ear, the way you guys perceive and render rhythm is, you know, the most dramatic distinction between your two styles. And you made it gel in a perfect way. But, you know, you do that lovely, lovely hanging behind, you know, especially when you're playing single note melodic style. And he tends, he's, he's, he's a little more on the one than you are. And um, the way you play against his, his steady time for the, you know, that, taffy push and pull is is um uh really and really engaging and beautiful thanks joe i mean i don't really think about that too much i mean i'm aware that i will play a melody at least like three quarter notes before you're supposed to a lot like i just go ahead and play it and i i like that sound and i've done it I think my whole guitar life, and I don't know if it's musicality or just impatience, <laughs> but but with Luca, some of his rhythms were so good and so inspiring. I felt like is is mine? Am, am I in that league? Because uh, I didn't want it to drop off when he played. Um, I'd be horrified. Um, but he was like, "No, it's great. I'm really it's it's great." You know. But I that was probably the thing most discussed. If anything, to to wrap up this episode, Jim, what do you feel like you learned the most about your own playing after doing this project? Well, I feel like I mean I I feel like I got a little better, like I improved. I mean, and the way I could articulate that is the guitar neck is is like three D chess, right? I mean, to this day, I. I, I I, I, you know, like if you play this chord on the top four strings and then on strings five through two, it's a different fingering. And if you go to string six through three, let's say a diminished chord, it's a totally different fingering. Um, and even to play a melody, if you play it on the top two strings or you go to strings three and two, it's a different fingering. And at the end of doing the two guitars record, I felt like I saw the guitar better. Like it was just, it, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, there was glimpses of 2020 vision. Um, but if we were in D flat or whatever, I'd see it. And not to say I did couldn't play in D flat before, but there was just a feeling of, of uh, clarity that, um, I don't think it's gone away yet. Um, you know, <laughs> better so, cash in, better cash in on that soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, thus far today, I still have it. Um, and uh, the other thing is, um, yeah, just just how to fill fill in in a duet without playing uh, really generic rhythm stuff. Mm. Um, because if I do generic rhythm stuff, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I'm not really inspired. I like things that are more impressionistic, I think. Well, like your mood, your mood indigo, you know, you could have easily interpreted that with like a, you know, you know, uh, four, you know, four chunks per bar 
you know, jazz tune and you made it something more sonic and abstract. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I forgot about that one. And that's a good example. And that's funny because that was one tune we hadn't planned for. And I mentioned I had pneumonia. I didn't know at the time. I just knew I did not feel good. Um, but I felt fine. I mean, we played like continuously, continuously. Uh, whenever I record, we just keep playing. It's one thing I learned through working with Russ Teitelman and some other, you know, name producers a few years back is they just keep you playing. And so we just kept playing and it was fine, but I wasn't feeling well. But at the end of the day, I had had it. I mean, it was maybe 7.30. We got there around 9.30 uh, a.m. You know, it was a long day. Um, I'm, I'm a very much a day person. I'm not like, you know, yeah, midnight, that's when I'm inspired. I'm asleep, man. And, uh, but, but Lucas said, hey, why don't we do Mood Indigo? And, you know, I was thinking we were done. And I was like, ah, you know, he's like, you know, and I've seen you play it. I was like, yeah, but that was like six months ago. <laughs> I was really crabby about it. I mean, not mean, but I was like, yeah, well, we kind of got a record. You know, I was just like, not, not in the mood, no pun intended. And Luca, you know, I go, I don't know what to play on it. You know, stuff like that. Like not, you know, I was being difficult in my way. Okay. And Luca was just like, Hey, why don't you do your, your violin thing and, and we'll just do it spatial. And that kind of drew me in. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can do that. And then, uh, you know, uh, he pretty much took the bull by the horns on that one. He told me what to play. Nice. I mean, he produced me. <laughs> well, Jim, it's been such a great time hanging with you and uh, looking forward to this week. And we'll be back on Wednesday with more from Jim Campolongo. Looking forward to it.